Welcome everyone to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. They are your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. So, a little bit happened this weekend, hey? A couple of things to talk about. Um, we're going to get into, obviously, the Matthew Kachuk trade and a little bit of baseball stuff as well. So, thank you for tuning in today. We begin, obviously, with the big news of the weekend. Matthew Kachuk is traded. I was in the broadcast booth during, I believe, the fifth inning of a 16-7 Okotoks Dogs win over the Edmonton Prospects at Seaman Stadium in Okotoks um, when the, the news came down. So... That was interesting. I don't know how you can look at this as anything other than a home run for the Calgary Flames. And I understand from a um, Flames fan standpoint that there is a bit of, I guess, concern about the signability of a couple of players on expiring deals because you've just kind of gone through something, haven't you? But I think from a Flames perspective... You, again, you, you can't look at this as anything other than a home run. And I just want to say off the top of this, I am someone who have, has been very big on Matthew Kachuk. Very big on on Matthew Kachuk. I think that, like, that there was a number of times I was saying this guy was the next captain of the Flames. And when Mark Giordano left the Flames, I was like, okay, just put a C on that guy and let's just get this over with, and let's just move on. Um, clearly, now, it's, it's a good thing that that did not happen. But for Kachuk, the thing that concerns me, or concerned me, I guess, now, I have no concerns about the Florida Panthers. They can do what they want. Uh, the thing that concerns me about Matthew Kachuk, or concerned me, was his play in the postseason this year. It really seemed like he just lost his ever-loving mind. During the playoffs, he had a couple of good games in there where it's like, okay, he is back on track. He's playing great. This is this is the Matthew Kachuk they need. And then after that, he went off and was just a little shit again. He seemed more focused on being a pest than he was on being one of the top players in the National Hockey League. And I had a couple of conversations with Audie on Game Over uh, Calgary. I had a couple of conversations with people on social media. I don't know if that's the dude I want to be paying $10 million to all of a sudden. Like, the, the playoff time is supposed to be Matthew Kachuk's time. You know, like he is supposed to be one of those guys who is built for the postseason. He can play that that gritty style. He can score when the games get tough. He can play physical if you need him to. Matthew Kachuk can be a postseason player. And I did not see that from him in this postseason. And I'm sure you could make the, if you wanted to put the, the conspiracy theory hat on, you could say, Oh, well, this is a guy who, like, he already had one foot out the door. He didn't care. But you look at, A, I don't think that's true. B, you look at the postseasons that Matthew Kachuk has had. This year, he had 10 points in 12 playoff games. That is pretty good. However, I think, like, four or five of those came in a two-game stretch. Aside from that, it was pretty underwhelming. The playoff before that, one goal, one assist, two points in six games in 1920. Two goals, one assist, three points in 2018-19, in but then the uh, goose egg in his first playoff, admittedly, back in 2016-17. It hasn't clicked for him in the postseason yet, and he's only 24 years old. It certainly can get there, but I thought like this was the time where the most pressure was on him in the postseason. He's on that top line. It was one of the best lines in the NHL in the regular season, and he was kind of just a dick. For most of it, you you love the agitation stuff. You love how under Klingberg's skin he got, but it seemed like once he did that, 
that was kind of his main focus the rest of the way. And he kind of forgot what to do during that whole hockey playing thing. And it's almost like in basketball where you're playing a guy who might be a bit bigger than you, but you know, you're playing a guy who can jump. And so there would be a couple of times where you would let that person block your shot on the first one of the game. Cause you knew for the rest of the game, every pump fake you were uh, going to throw up, he was going to bite on. It kind of felt like that's what happened with Matthew Kachuk, where he got what he wanted at the very beginning. And then he was like, Oh shit, I can, I can do this. I'm going to get after it. Yeah. So looking back at the playoffs here, um, I said 10 points in 12 playoff games. Not bad. However, he had two points in game seven against Dallas and he had three points in game one against the Edmonton Oilers. So five of his 10 points came in two games. And one of those games was a 9-6 or whatever the heck that game was, where, where it went absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, 9-6 for the Flames in game one of the series against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so aside from that, you have, what, 10 games and 5 points. All of a sudden, that doesn't seem as effective. And again, keeping in mind, he's on your top line. And then in the last three games of the Oilers series, um, so games 3, 4, and 5, where you kind of need him to step up, once again, we're quoting Sam Mitchell here, Zero, zero, zero. Nothing on the scoreboard for for Matthew Kachuk there. So, um, look, it sucks to lose a player of this caliber. Obviously, it does. I, and I, I said before, I thought this guy was a future captain. I thought he was the type of player that you build a team around. And by the way, none of this is to say that I think he sucks. I, I think you can still build uh, a team around Matthew Kachuk very effectively. But this last off or this last postseason scared me immensely. And so now you look at what the Flames got. If you were to make the trade with um, Matthew Kachuk and you would have got Uyghur, Schwint, and a first back, I would have thought, okay, you're getting a prospect who scored 20 goals in the American Hockey League, you're getting a first, and you're getting a very good young defenseman who seems like he could fit perfectly in the flame system. I would have not loved the trade, but I would have understood, okay, you're coming from a bit of a position of weakness. And then you add in a guy who, in my opinion, has been the most underrated forward in the National Hockey League over the last five years, that this is a home run for the Flames. Even if they don't sign Hubert and Uyghur this offseason, like what is, what is worst case scenario for the Flames? Worst case scenario is you have a good season. You're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to make a bit of a push for the playoffs. We're not moving Huberto. We're not moving Uyghur. We haven't signed them to extensions yet. We're not moving them, though. We're going to make a push to the playoffs. You lose in the first or second round again. And Huberto and Uyghur leave for free agency. So essentially, what you have done is kick the can down the road a year. That's basically, basically what you have done. At that point, you are in the exact same situation as you would have been right now, except you have Schwint and the first round pick from the, the Florida Panthers. Obviously, there are a number of other scenarios. If the team is not good, you can flip Huberto and Uyghur and get some assets back at the trade deadline. You can extend both of them. And then this is one of the best trades the Flames have pulled off since they acquired Jerome McGinley. So even the worst case scenario from a Calgary perspective isn't all that bad. And I think Huberto is excellent. Um, like I, I would, if we were doing a start my franchise draft tomorrow, I would probably take Gaudreau and Kachuk ahead of Jonathan Huberto, but I don't know if it would be that much further ahead. I think the world of Huberto, I think he is one of the smartest players in the league. I think his playmaking ability is excellent. I think his scoring ability is very good as well. And when you look at 
like what the Flames have had over the last little bit, I would say that Huberto and Barkov is kind of a souped-up version of Gaudreau and Monaghan. Um, so I, I don't think you're taking that much of a step back at all. And then you're still getting a pretty good package back with Wiegerschwind and a first-round pick. I think, like, you look at um, a potential pairing, as, as everything sits right now, I would assume the top line would be some form of Huberto, Mangiapane, and Lindholm. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I'm not saying that the Flames are better now for not having Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, but Jonathan Huberto, I think, makes things a little bit easier to deal with. On the Uyghur front, he hasn't really, like, fully clicked, but you look at his underlying numbers, and this kid is ready to just bust out. And I think having Daryl Sutter with him now is going to be, I think, very good and very impactful for what he can do. Um, and this seems like the perfect scenario to kind of maximize things. And I think the Uyghur camp is going to be telling him that, like, hey, this is kind of your last chance to be one of those guys. Be one of the dudes that a lot of people thought you could have been um, when you came into the National Hockey League. It hasn't it hasn't been bad for Uyghur, but it hasn't been that excellent level defenseman that I think a lot of people thought you were going to see from him at the National Hockey League level. This is kind of his last chance to prove that he can be that guy. He, he's still going to be an NHL defenseman for the next, like, seven to ten years, right? But... This is your last chance. If you want to be one of those big money dudes, this is your last chance to prove that you can be one of those guys. Um, Schwint, I don't have a lot on him. Uh, 19 goals in the American Hockey League last season. The first round pick in 25 is actually kind of interesting. Like, you would have preferred a first round pick in 23, I think, obviously, given the depth of this year's draft. But you don't know what Florida's going to be in a couple of years. Like, they're already kind of in panic mode. Like, Huberto was a huge part of their um, core, and that didn't work. And, like, I'm not going to say this team completely falls off in a couple of years, but you could see a world where that 25 pick is all of a sudden pretty valuable. Pretty, pretty valuable. Like, I think they got a little over their skis this year, which is tough to say because they've been so close for a while. And then they get a bit of success. Okay, we're going for it. Like, that that makes some sense. And then you see what happened in the playoffs and, oh, maybe this wasn't the group to do that with. If they continue to maybe take a couple of steps back, all of a sudden that first round pick could be incredibly valuable from a, a Flames perspective. So I, I think an excellent bit of business. Um, it's interesting how the fire trilliving chants on social media have all just kind of gone away. The one thing about this trade that um, was a bit of a huh to me, because we've talked on this show before about what I think the Flames should do. I, I think it is now, I, I think it was time to start over. And I was fully expecting this show today to be a, okay, who's untouchable in the Flames? Who aren't you moving at this point? And now you look at it and th this is, I think, clearly a team I don't want to say is going for it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like that it's not, Hey, you got Hubert Owen Uyghur for Matthew Kachuk. You lost Gaudreau for nothing cup contender, baby. But what I am saying is this is clearly a team that isn't going in the tank. This is clearly a team that is going to try to be good next season. Whatever facsimile of good that is, they, they are going to try to be good next year. And... I just, there's a ceiling on this group. There, there really is. And I don't want to quell any positivity coming out of this trade because, again, it is a home run deal from the Flames and Flames fans should be excited. You are getting one of the highest IQ players in the National Hockey League. I think him and Daryl are going to team up very, very well. Huberto um, is who we are discussing. But 
there is still a ceiling on this. Like that this trade today, does it make them better than Vegas? Probably not. Does it make it better than Edmonton? No, definitely not. Does it make them better than the Kings? It puts you kind of maybe level with the LA Kings a little bit. So you're talking about being third in the division or maybe a wild card team. And then again, probably losing in the first or second round. If you're like, th that is best case scenario, by the way, for all these guys. Like if, if a couple of players take a bit of a step off, or a step back, maybe Dupe doesn't progress the way you want him to, then it gets a little bit annoying. Um, and it gets a little bit bad in Calgary. But then maybe you hope you can bottom out, get a little bit of lottery luck, and off you go to get Connor Bedard, or just a good player in this draft. I don't... I, if you are doing this, it signifies that you are not going in the tank, and I, I don't know if this is a Flames team that should be going in that direction. But again, it's a home run deal. And now you look at a couple of possibilities. There is a Nazem Kadri still out there. If the Flames are able to get off of the, some of the money they have on the books, whether it's a Monaghan, whether it's a Milan Lucic, you can start to have some of those conversations. As it sits right now, I think they're at $9.3 million in cap space with still uh, Manjapani and Shillington to figure out. Where Shillington fits into things is also quite interesting because now with Uyghur, you have five defensemen kind of locked in. And then it's a matter of what do you think you have in Mackey and what do you think you have in Valimaki? Because either of those guys would be six or Shillington could be six and then those guys are just in the American Hockey League for ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so I don't love the Zadorov signing. Um, I would like to see some of these younger guys kind of take that step. Like to, to me, if the Flames as currently situated, go into next year, I would love to see the graduation of quite a few players from the American Hockey League coming up and, and getting an opportunity with this Flames team. I think that would be very exciting. I think that would be a lot of fun for Flames fans here. Um, but with this Hubert Ope, uh, acquisition, again, it does seem like the Flames are going to be making a bit of a push. If you can get away from the Lucic money, if you can get away from the Monaghan money, and you can bring in a Nazem Kadri. Once again, all of a sudden, you start to feel a little bit more comfortable about things. Then you have a top three centers of Lindholm, Kadri, Backlund, with your fourth being, in my opinion, uh, Ruzichka, maybe a Trevor Lewis probably checks in there. But that that's that's not bad. That's setting up pretty good, actually. And then you can kind of try to, to, to build off from there. I am of the belief that you'd have to put something in to get off of the Monaghan money. You have just acquired an extra first round pick. I don't think it would take that much to, like, I, I think it would be some kind of like an NBA pick swap or something like that. If Trilliving is pulling from the NBA playbook with the, the sign and trade with Matthew Kachuk, I think you could do something along those lines. But you, you can all of a sudden squint and see this Flames team Obviously, substantially different, but you can see this Flames team once again being a team that makes a little bit of noise next year. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's, where the A's would be. What a weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays as they score 40 runs on the Boston Red Sox, sweeping the Red Sox. And this was an excellent weekend for the Blue Jays on a couple of different levels. First of all, they kicked the shit out of the Red Sox, which is always a beautiful thing. At Fenway. Oh, how beautiful was that that they did that at Fenway Park. 
This is the type of series, the exact type of series you want coming out of the All-Star break. I am upset they're not playing again tonight. Um, I want this ball to keep rolling. You're taking on a Cardinals team that's not going to have Goldschmidt and Arenado because they're afraid of a tiny little needle. Um, and just continue this momentum. This is how you want to start the second half of the season and kind of get that ball rolling in the right direction there. So, like... Bravo, kudos, 100%, exactly what you want. The other reason I think this was a good weekend for the Blue Jays, A, you have sent the Red Sox into a bit of a spiral, and it seems now like we could be, live in a world where the Red Sox turn into sellers at the deadline, and that becomes really interesting because they have a lot of interesting young pieces in either the last year or second last year of their contract, and a team that is, uh, I think, pretty clearly trying to be a little bit better at managing their money. So you could potentially, with this series win, not that it was like make or break for Boston, but you have pushed them one step closer with now just a couple of weeks to go until the trade deadline. You've pushed them a couple of steps closer to being in full-on sell mode. And I don't know if Boston, I, I don't think Boston would trade a Bogarts to the Blue Jays. I don't think Bogarts is exactly what the Jays need. I thought at some points this season they might be, but I mean, Espinal's an all-star. You're not going to move Chapman off of third base. Unless you are just doing some galaxy brain stuff where you're including Bo Bichette in a Juan Soto trade and then acquiring Bogarts to fill in for Bo Bichette. But now we're getting into video game stuff. But Boston becoming a seller just makes things a whole lot easier in Blue Jay land. The other thing that helped out this weekend is the Giants were swept by the LA Dodgers. And I think the Giants are a really interesting seller, and I think they match up pretty well with the Blue Jays' needs. The The Giants don't seem like a team that are going to push for that last playoff spot. They, they don't... They don't seem to me to be an organization. They don't seem to me to be a roster that's like, yeah, we'd be cool just getting into that last wildcard spot, playing division winner X, and... Just, yeah, yeah, we'll get a couple playoff games and that's fine. This is an experienced group that doesn't need the experience of getting in the postseason. They have a very smart front office, and I think one that is probably, honestly, I think they're going to gear up to make a move at Aaron Judge next year. And I don't think the playoff success, they're not going to sell the farm to get playoff success this year. I think, if anything, they're going to look to move some of this money out so that they can make a big push for Aaron Judge coming into this offseason. So, what does that mean from a Blue Jays perspective? Two pieces on the Giants really, really, really interest me. Carlos Rodon and Brandon Belt. The Blue Jays, I still think, need one really good left-handed bat, whether it's in the lineup or off the bench. Brandon Belt can be that. He is not what he was a few years ago. I don't know if he ever fully got to where people thought he could get to. Very good NBA, MLB career. Not even questioning that for a second. But it is... It is someone who I think kind of fits a need really, really well with this Blue Jays team and would be a very interesting acquisition for Toronto going into a potential playoff push. The other one is Rodon. Like I said, the Blue Jays need starting pitching. Again, it is great that Ross Stripling has done what he has done, but it is scary to rely on Ross Stripling to do what he has done. It would be great if you went into the postseason and Stripling was your 5-6 guy or your 6-7 guy to get to... Um, probably Simber and Romano in the 8th and ninth. I still think this Blue Jays team needs a little bit more pitching. And I really think Rodon was someone who I wanted to see the Blue Jays go after. And I think he could fit once again with this Blue Jays team 
to a T. He has legitimate ace stuff. It has been kind of hit or miss when he can find it, but we've seen before, with the exception of some early stuff with Jose Barrios, Pete Walker is very good at getting that out of pitchers. I think Rodon would be the perfect acquisition for the Blue Jays. And I don't pay attention super closely to the Giants' bullpen. I'm sure they have a couple bullpen arms they could throw in. If the Jays wanted to make just a monster move with the Giants to really reshape things, I think that would be a really good way of doing it. Lastly, in the world of professional wrestling, Vince McMahon has retired from his spot in the WWE. It is a long time coming, for those who don't know. There are a number of allegations of sexual misconducts from the, the, the former chairman of the board of the WWE, the, the longtime proprietor of the WWE. Um... And under great scrutiny, Vince McMahon has announced his retirement. So a couple of things, uh, John Pollock tweeting out from the statement today from WWE's 8K filing, which this is a good thing I'm reading off of a reporter's thing because I don't totally know what that means. Um, quote, the company has made a preliminary determination that certain payments that Vince McMahon agreed to make during the period from 2006 through 2022, including amounts paid and payable in the future, and that were not recorded in the WWE consolidated financial statements should have been recorded as expenses in the quarters in which those agreements were made. As of the date hereof, the company has identified unrecorded expenses totaling approximately $14.6 million. All payments underlying the under uh, unrecorded expenses were or will be paid by Vince McMahon currently. Um, also, this from John Pollock, quote the, uh, again, John Pollock quoting the WWE's 8K filing, quote, the company has also received and may receive in the future regulatory, investigative, and enforcement inquiries, subpoenas, or demands arising from, related to, or in connection with these matters. So while Vince McMahon is gone, this is not the last we are hearing of him. Uh, from a legal standpoint, I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it's going to go well, but uh, to be perfectly frank, Vince McMahon is a rich white man, and these things tend to not go as poorly for them as they may for others. From a, a pro wrestling standpoint, it certainly um, clouds what would have otherwise been, like, say what you want about the product now or at various different times. Pro wrestling is not in the spot it is today without Vince McMahon, but also... Pro wrestling's not in the spot it is today without Vince McMahon. You know, like, you can say that in a couple of different ways, and I think both are accurate. He was obviously a visionary, the Hulkamania, WrestleMania, Monday Night War, all of these types of things. Um, yeah, kudos. Thank you very much. But also, don't be a piece of shit. So I am very happy that the pro wrestling world is now rid of of Vince McMahon. Do I think there's going to be widespread changes? No. Stephanie McMahon came out on SmackDown on Friday and tried to start a thank you Vince chant. It sounds like from a pro wrestling standpoint now, Triple H, uh, Paul Levesque, is going to be taking over creative duties. When he had those on NXT, it was the best program in professional wrestling, bar none. And so I am very interested to see what happens here. I am very timidly dipping my toe back in the WWE waters. I'm very timidly just like, okay, this is um, this is something I'm going to check out again. If there's any more of that thank you Vince bullshit, I'm out again. Like I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I understand it's Stephanie's dad. It's a very complex time for her in her life. She is getting a, a remarkably huge promotion. She is going to be co-CEO with Nick Khan. But still, to celebrate that man in that way under these circumstances... Like, just stop. Just stop it. The WWE stock price is up um, coming into today. I was interested to see where that would go, but 
it seems like it is a positive thing that he is now gone. So just let him be gone. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you very much for tuning in. And thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions, your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can find me online on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. And you can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Hoping to have more shows coming out this week. Talk to you all later. I'm out.